up, guys? This is Matt from the Human Animal Podcast. We're excited to be back. I am here with my good friend, Nate Miller. Nate, how's it going? Oh, it's going pretty well. Enjoying the uh, nice snowy weather. Believe it or not, I'm one of those crazy people who actually enjoys cold weather. It's kind of crazy. I don't know. Have you ever seen the stuff from Wim Hof? Wim Hof, no. You guys know who I'm talking about? No. So that was the voice of Will Fleming, special guest today. I'm going to give him a long intro in a second. But Wim Hof, he's uh, the guy who can control his body temperature with his mind. Oh, yeah. I've heard about this and guy. And his immune system response through meditation. So he will go into like ice cold buckets of water and he won't drop below freezing. His body temperature, core temperature won't drop. He climbed Mount Everest in a pair of shorts. And like stuff like that. He's, really? really? he's insane. Yeah, he's legitimate. He's got some cool stuff. All right. So, without further ado, we do have another special guest this week. And this one we're really excited about. This is our first uh, Don't Get Fired podcast <laughs> 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 with uh, Will Fleming, uh, co owner of Force Fitness, uh, Olympic lifting coach extraordinaire, and what we're going to be talking about today, a, an athlete as well for a long time. So, Will, welcome to the podcast. Guys, thanks a bunch for having me. It's, it's, uh, I'm, a, I'm a long-time listener, first-time <laughs> guest. I, I really am. I enjoy this podcast every time. It's in my rotation with several others that I make sure to, to check out every single week. So it, it's fun. He is buttering us up big time I right know. Now. I, I kind of feel honored. At, uh, you guys are know. my beard idols. I, I've I grown know. Actually, this is, this is epic because we do have three full-grown beards at the table right now. This is, it's perfect. this is a man's podcast. Yeah. <laughs> That's why we had to kick Jake out. Yep. <laughs> his, his blonde beard just doesn't cut it. <laughs> doesn't cut it. Uh, you can't tell that it's really there. It just no. kind of hides in. Um, no, it, he's got some camo going on. Camo beard. It's camo ridiculous. Beard. Ridiculous. Okay, so, uh, Will, why don't you give a little background to everybody? Just assume people don't already know who you are. Absolutely. Which is, which is unlikely if people are listening to this podcast that they don't know who you are. Okay, so... Because we're, we're at the bottom of the totem pole. <laughs> so if you've made it down this far, I think they would have passed by willfleming.com at some point. But uh, let's just get a little bit of intro, background, and athletic history and coaching history. Right, absolutely. So um, the, the athletic background you know, started as early as I can, I can remember. I was competing in sports like so many people in in fitness that the the interest was there because of trying to better themselves and and just become you know typically a better athlete or physically aesthetically looking better or whatever but uh, my interest was in football initially um, I happened to walk into a weight room one time because I heard that's where the really great football players worked out and it turned out it was an Olympic weightlifting gym it could have been a bodybuilding gym it could have been a powerlifting gym, and I would have taken part in it and, and done whatever they said. It just so happened that, that there were two coaches. One was an Olympic team coach. One was an Olympic team member uh, for Olympic weightlifting. So I got a really great education at a young age. And that really, really improved me as a football player. It led me to track and field. As a uh, football player, you know, I gained 50 pounds and got faster. So right away I said – this is a really important thing. It's so cool that all these doors have been open to me where I got to go on official visits for, uh, you know, track and field and football to watch, uh, you know, to experience all these different college campuses, had scholarship offers, got to move to the Olympic training center. And so that was my initial thing where it was like, if I could do that, where I could help athletes. And that's, I came from that side first where I was like, if I can help athletes, that would be one of the coolest things that I could possibly do. So that's, that's what really got me interested in coaching. So fast forward through college, you know, studying nutrition science in a roundabout way as my focus ended up uh, doing track and field, becoming a hammer thrower, which is where they put all the little guys. I'm not a not a big guy, but where they put all the little guys who uh, can you know move fast, at, but aren't fast enough to be a sprinter. And so I ended up doing track and field, went to the Olympic trials. And as soon as the Olympic trials wrapped up, uh, Ryan and I, Ryan, uh, my business partner, um, we decided that we wanted to you know, start a gym, one that focused on letting people move every gym that we had run into uh, locally and, and you know, for a big, you know, big swath of, of land where it's like you know, up to Indianapolis. All the gyms were 
you know, just the typical gym, full of machines, no space, treadmills. And it was, it, to us, it was like, well, people are missing some stuff. We need to have a place where people can move and move around uh, and, and get, you know, train like an athlete, essentially. And so that, that's where the coaching started. And from there, um, you know, we've been at it for five years. And you guys have been a big part of it for the last couple. So, you know, you guys know just as much as I do about, about training in, in terms of that. I just happen to have uh, diverted in my, tra- in my training and in my coaching to be primarily working with just athletes and working with Olympic lifters. Man, what would the world have been like had you walked into a bodybuilding gym? Right, right. My well, goodness. much better biceps. Much better <laughs> biceps. Is that even possible? <laughs> I don't know. Well, my, my symmetry is just down. It's not good. Um, yeah, I don't have that extra bulge on top anymore. Hmm. Well, one thing I wanted to go back to really quick, because I'm really interested in this, and I don't know if I've heard you talk about it before, but what was it like at the Olympic Training Center? Well, that was a really cool experience. I, I was had, I got recruited for track and field and had every intention of going to college for track and field. Um, but right before my, there used to be a program through USA Weightlifting that was called like the junior, the junior team or a junior squad. And so the top twenty junior lifters in the country would get an opportunity to go out to Colorado Springs for two weeks in the summer. Um, to train and, and, you know, live at the Olympic training center essentially for two weeks, all your food was paid for all the, you know, would do some fun stuff on the side, go whitewater rafting. And that was just a really cool experience. And I, I qualified for that junior squad when I was uh, 16, 17 and 18. So, but the first time I got to take advantage of it was uh, when I was 18 after my senior year of high school, every other year I was always, Oh, I can't miss football practice. I can't miss, you know, football conditioning or whatever so right before my senior year or right after my senior year of high school I got to go out there for two weeks and you know live in dorm and and spend time you know just lifting you know twice a day taking part in everything and I came back and I I went up to my coach and was like is there any way that you could you know I could get a spot out there so him being a really you know great athlete and have a ton of connections he made the call and was like hey uh, I have an athlete who wants to come out here I had won a junior national championship so they had known that you know that I was an Olympic lifter, and so they said, "Sure, bring him out." So I had like a semester-long training uh, residency where I could go out there, and and it was kind of like a semester-long tryout to see if I would stick around past that. And it was just really cool, you know. I always, uh, I guess, I was the weird guy who ro- rooted for Drago in Rocky Four because I, I love. <laughs> I thought the idea of nationalized training was the coolest, you know, like yeah. where you know, like uh, you had all these things at your disposal. Uh, and it, and it really was like that, you know, I had like one focus, I would get up in the morning, we'd have a training session in the morning. I'd go eat immediately afterwards at the cafeteria. There's a woman named flower there who would cook you anything that you wanted. Right. So they had, you know, just a normal cafeteria style where you could pick stuff up. But if you went up and said flower, I want a breakfast burrito with 12 eggs. She'd say, are you sure you want 12? Do you not want 14? You know, and, uh, <laughs> and it was, uh, and she would, she would make it. And, and uh, as far as I know, she's still out there, but so that was really neat. Um, it was an odd thing. I ended up coming back, uh, because part of it was not going to school at the time. And I, I just really wanted to go to school. So, uh, decided to go to school, focus on track and field. And then I wasn't an Olympic lifter for, you know, 12 years. So that was when I was like 18, and I did my first Olympic lifting competition after 12 years off when I was 30. And then I've done like four in the last year or so. Wow. That's awesome. So um, our topic today or what we really want to dive into with you, uh, like I mentioned before, is the kind of athlete side, especially continuing athletics, because we know we have a lot of uh, weekend warriors out there or people that want to are – fired up by competition. They like challenging themselves to do something. Um, and coming from a history of athletics and now continuing to compete, uh, you know, we'd like to look at, like, training, preparation, mindset, and kind of how that's evolved over time for you. So let's start with um, – let's start with with uh, just getting back into Olympic weightlifting 12 years later. What was that decision like? Well – so there's there's kind of a – I guess a, the most important thing that needs to happen w- when you decide to get back into competition, and for me this was a unique case because I had 
been successful as an Olympic lifter when I was you know, 17 and 18, but now I'm 30 years old and, you know, there's, you know, I've lived 12 years of life. And so that had, you know, a handful of injuries and it had, uh, plenty of silly choices, you know, like in the middle. And, and so, so, you know, coming back to it, like the first thing is, uh, particularly if you, if I choose something or if someone were to choose something that they had already done or competed at a high level, like if you were a, you know, competitive distance runner when you're a kid and you wanted to come back and, you know, run or, you know, master swimmer or something like that. Uh, you, you got to immediately abandon the idea that, oh, I'm 12 years older. I'm 12 years better than what I was, <laughs> you know, when I was 18. And because I really wasn't, I, ca- I came back and I, and I actually hadn't done this. I took about four weeks to train for like my first competition. And I, I went to the competition and I was like, well, when I was 18, I hit this number, but you know, I, I didn't, I didn't even come close. And it was like really frustrating. I was nervous obviously and all that kind of stuff, but you know, coming back, um, it wasn't like I had 12 years of inactivity. It was just, you know, various different stuff up until 2008. I was, you know, competing the hammer throw and using the Olympic lifts as like a part of my program, but not the competitive, you know, full deal, catch it low, you know, don't use straps kind of, kind of thing. So I had to abandon some of that. Here's what I used to do. This is what I should do now. So I had, and I had to approach my training different, obviously I'm 30, uh, which is young or old, depending on from whose, whose eyes you're looking at, at it from. But I, you know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't train like I did when I was 18, where I really literally had to think about, I'm going to get up and okay, I'm going to lift. And then what am I going to eat? And then how long is my first nap going to be? And you know, that kind of stuff, I, you know, that that's not possible anymore. So I, I had to kind of detach myself from what I did when I was younger and, and go into it fresh, um, with the, the hope that, you know, being competitive, what I was really after was being competitive, not being better than what I used to be or something. Mm. Yeah. I know that, um, this is something that Nathan and I have talked a lot about is just like every once in a while, I really get the urge to compete, but this, my sport growing up was soccer and, uh, I guess I could compete in soccer. It's just tough with scheduling and like trying to find a weekday night that would be clear and stuff. So the one thing that we've kind of done the last couple of years is I've done a mud race, some sort of mud race the last couple of years. And I remember going into that first one, a tough mudder and everyone at the gym gave me such crap about this because we were all like, Oh yeah, man, we're going to stay together. We're a team. And we got out there and I was like, I am going. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> There's a there's a team picture where I am uh, markedly absent because I was like a half mile ahead of everybody else. It's only it's only because no, you know I just got the, that blood boils and you really want to compete and it's um, interesting to have to control that though that urge because you know a lot of times I'm not that competitive I get I get kind of like friendly competitive but when it does come I also know that those tend to be around the times when I hurt myself the most. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I'm pushing. Like, I'm ready to yeah. go. And uh, so it's just an interesting balance trying to figure out when you should push, when you shouldn't push. Um, have you ever had an experience, like, leading up to a competition where you feel like you overreached either in the competition or leading up to the competition because you, you just had kind of the blinders on a little bit? Or, like, how do you handle that now? Yeah, so I, I talked about this mental adjustment where it was like, Oh, I'm not 18 anymore. Well, that, that came to me because I had like secretly in my head decided that I was training to like Olympic lift again. Uh, hadn't really said anything to anyone. And uh, I don't know if I've told anybody this ever, but I, I had plans to compete at a, you know, competition, you know, uh, six months before my, what I actually did. And, you know, the week before I was like, well, when I was, when I was 18, I would do this, right. I would, uh, you know, and this, this fits with like all the, you know, periodization and all this stuff that, uh, you know, I would, you know, the knowledge that I've gained between that, you know, it's like, Oh, this fits in with competition. This is what I used to do. Okay. I'm just going to do it. But honestly, I, I wasn't prepared. I'd only put, you know, four or six weeks of training in. And so the week before a competition, um, I just, you know, I, was doing a, I was doing a rep that was too heavy for me. It was like really going for PR and training. And, and I, 
you know, got a little crooked and felt like, uh, you know, back spasm kick in. So, yes, I have been there. Yeah. Where, where, and then so it was like, okay, I really need to take, take a, a different approach here. So, um, you know, the big thing for me that has kept me from doing that since then, because uh, in 2012 I did uh, one competition. I just entered it with uh, Rod and uh, Tyrone from the gym, and we drove up to Michigan and did a competition. That one was where I didn't get the results I wanted. And so I took a few months off where, I mean, I was just training, and then I was going to do one early 2013. So I went in to meet in March 2013 and had, um, you know, Better results in that first competition, but still not where I wanted. But it was, it was basically, uh, you know, I had been following my own programming, and so I, I, I mean, I feel like this is the best thing that I ever did. Was I, you know, just talked to a coach and I said, "Hey, um, would you write my program? You're a good Olympic lifting coach. I don't need a bunch of technical coaching because I feel really comfortable with it. But I want, you know, I want someone to say this is what you're doing on this day and just go do it." And that's been like the best thing for me. So I, you know, this guy, I pay this guy every single month to write a program for me and I just do it. And, you know, if you are, particularly if you're uh, like a former competitive athlete or or if you're a fitness professional and you have all this experience, um, using your own stuff is really, really hard, you know, because I, you know, otherwise I'd, I'd write a lot more bench press in my program because I like bench pressing, you know, so, (laughs) um, so, you know, getting someone to say, this is what you need to do. This is how you should do it. And this how much of it you should do is really, really important. So if you said, hey, I'm a, you know, I used to run, so I know what I'll do. I'll just do this program to, you know, complete my first marathon, which is probably the most popular adult sport you can do is like distance running. That's, that's probably not going to get it done. I would, I would much rather say, hey, I'll pay you or pay someone to write me a program to prepare me for this. Yeah. Um, like we always say, coaches need coaches, right? Absolutely. Coaches need coaches. Mm-hmm. And uh, you actually just reminded me with distance runners, you know, there's a sh- I think there's also a shift in perspective um, for, like, what you're willing to risk for the benefit, right? So, like, we I had a distance runner uh, in a session who was prepping for a uh, half marathon uh, off-road race. And he's coming up to the weeks before, and his hip is really starting to bother him. He's getting a lot of pain in the hip, and he doesn't feel like his mileage is up where it needs to be. And he's starting to get worried about getting hurt. And I was just like, well, how important is this race to you? I mean, if you got hurt in this race, would it be worth it? And he was like, no, I don't care that much. I was like, okay, well, that sounds like an answer. Why don't you back off a little bit, back off the training, work on your mechanics, because his running mechanics were a little bit off. He was getting, like, you know, ITB. IT band syndrome and some other things. So something is wrong. Back off and work on that and then come back in knowing that your times and your the next time you compete, you're going to be better and you'll be at less risk. I think when it's when we're younger, that's probably a progression that I've gone through. Is like I would go into a, a, a soccer game and we'd be up 5 nothing. so i get pulled from goalie and allowed to go play forward. And I would be out there, like, sacrificing my body in order to try to get a shot at the other goal. Right. I actually like uh, I took a knee to the face and killed one of my front teeth when I was in high school just because I was sliding in the box trying to scissor kick a ball out of the air. And we were up like five nothing. And I was just I mean, so it's just like that just means so much more, you know, I guess. And I think having a little bit of that perspective uh, is useful. Not that we shouldn't compete or, or or that we should like always back down from certain things, but it's just an interesting balance. There's a mentality there that I think is really interesting. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I know you said that you had to have kind of a, a paradigm shift between, you know, like I'm not 18 anymore. Um, but how, how was that? Like what kind of process did you go through? Cause I, I know a lot of people, they say that and they know that intellectually, but actually putting that into practice is really tough for them. Right. Um, you know, this, this is an interesting thing. Um, and and I'm not certain that I knew 100% that I was absolutely in that mindset until, like, I tried to do 18-year-old things, and I was like, I'm not comfortable with this. And it's kind of that thing. It's like, how important is it to you? And it is it is important. You know, competitiveness is a great outlet. It's, um, you know, a measuring stick, and th- I think that's important to so many people. 
but um, there was probably some running your head into the wall first and then going, I know why that wall is there. I know what, you know, <laughs> that, that wall is there for a reason. And, um, you know, where I, where I used to try and keep running through that wall or whatever, you know, now I can say, okay, I need to be smarter about it. For me, that meant when I was 18, I lifted in a certain way, right? Like technically. And, you know, maybe this is a, you know, this could be a, I approach something differently mentally or whatever. But for me, it was like, technically I was lifting different when I was 18 and it was something that I could hold up to. And it's, it's a perfectly acceptable way to lift technically, but for me, as a 30-year-old, and now 31-year-old, that was it wasn't going to get it done. I was going to, my back was going to start hurting, or I was going to, my knees were going to start hurting, or whatever. And so I had to, like, just make that. And so I think when I said, I'm going to relearn some stuff, I'm not just going to train, I'm going to reteach myself, that that was maybe the, the real turning point when it came to um, saying, okay, I really am 30. So, Will, would you call yourself the Tiger Woods of Olympic weightlifting? Yeah, the swing change guy. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that was a really important thing uh, for me to do is, like, go in there and say, even though I I learned this when I was young, and then I had, like, years of experience, and I had years of coaching it, that I could say to myself I was wrong. You know, like, if if your, if your model for marathon training that used to get it done for you was I'm going to run 120. 20 miles a week, uh, you can't, you know, and now you're 32 and I'm going to go train for a marathon. I haven't done it. You know, you used to be an elite distance runner, 130 miles a week or 150 miles a week or whatever you used to do probably isn't going to cut it because you don't have the time. You don't have the energy, you know, your body doesn't have that many miles left in it, you know? So, yeah. uh, yeah, rethinking that training process or that technical process. That's, I think that's an important exercise. Yeah. Um, I have a joke. Go right ahead. You were talking about running your head into the wall? Mm Mm-hmm. So uh, what did the fish say when he ran into a wall? What? what? Damn. (laughs) (laughs) And now we're we're an explicit podcast. (laughs) Um, You're right. It's it's so interesting. And then there's also this idea of over-competitiveness where we see that competition becomes the driving factor in entire fitness programs where it's like, if I'm not competing, what's the point? And it seems like we're like, obviously you can come down on either side of the fence with that one and there's different shades of gray, but it seems like when we are over competing, doesn't that almost, you know, uh, dull, like the experience a little bit. Yeah. So, I would I would point to CrossFit, right? We didn't you didn't want to I say was it. you were just like you were just dancing around, it, right? <laughs> Thank you for saying that, though. But, he said it. He said it. HQ can go after him. But um, <laughs> I I think that's like the coolest part of CrossFit is yeah. that there is a competitive sport. You could go find a CrossFit competition. Like I'm an Olympic weightlifter. I in in the Midwest, uh, it's difficult to find a competition. You know, maybe there's one every two or three months and. Or when there is, there's like four in the same weekend, and you're like, "What?" Yeah. So, but if you're if you're into CrossFit, you could go find a competition every week, and you know you could go to one, you know, in small towns, you could go to Bloomington, you could you know fly this place, you could be wherever and, and compete in CrossFit, or you could just do like some wad that other people have a PR on, and you have a PR on, and you could compete that way. And I think that I think that's a really neat part. But if your whole goal is competition every single day, then how are you actually getting better? I mean, basketball players play 82 games a year in the NBA, but they still have practice in between. They don't, they don't compete every single day. And, and what, you know, I, I think kind of the coolest part of this, and if I'm talking about the adult athlete, what I think is, is probably the best model is Dan John wrote something about um, – you know, six weeks a year, eight weeks a year, you should, you should be like eating a warrior's diet. And he, you know, he put things as like a warrior's diet or a king's diet. You know, a warrior eats things that only fuel him for, you know, the competition or the battle ahead of him. And a king's diet is, you know, just kind of opulent and, you know, what, what you want. And he said, you know, excluding these things, but, you know, a smart king's diet and a warrior's diet. And then, you know, another 
six weeks or the same six weeks a year, you should be doing like park bench or park bench or bus bench workout. So a park bench workout is like if you're sitting at a park bench, you don't care when the when the bus shows up. Or you know there is no bus. You're just there to hang out. If you're at a bus bench workout, bus bench workouts, you want to see a result. You want the bus to show up. So you know like that would be a good model for adult you know athletic performance or adult athletic competitiveness is take six weeks or eight weeks or something and really train for something and and do something at the end that shows that off but not 52 weeks a year and that that's where i think crossfit can go wrong sometimes and there are good crossfits yeah i mean it's all it's all over the map and we can you can do it with outside of a crossfit model we have have people in in group training where you see someone else going and that instantly wants you want to get going and push further and there it's good i I like i i feel like that competitive edge is something and uh that's missing for Mm -hmm. a lot of people now and i wonder you know going back to our i always try to bring this in you know i do the human animal kind of analogy, like normally we would be put in situations pretty regularly where we had high stakes in the outcome. Absolutely. And those stakes have changed from physically demanding for most of us to maybe emotionally or mentally demanding. And so I think there is like a, a place where that is really beneficial to get back to. Um, I also like the idea of like cooperative competition and uh, teamwork because you know I think that also gets lost. Um, yeah, that I have to say that is one thing that I absolutely miss from my competition. So from I played football, and so I just ache sometimes for team competition. It's if um like honestly if crossfit had like team competition i i just might have to they do jump they, in on a kid uh-oh. they do oh man they, definitely they do. do oh man but usually depending on how it's written most of it from my understanding is like each person is individually performing their workout and then you're added together as a team uh, there's relay race type things yeah, too some where it's like stuff. you do I, this well, many that, and then i do this many and yeah then, well that's not quite you know, not the, the same. same. Not the same well, thing. But and that's something that's that's interesting about team based sports because I also wonder. You know, a lot of times the cooperative nature of competition was you against you and your tribe against the elements more than against each other. You know, I mean, obviously there was there was inner conflict, but um, like simply us going out as a group and saying we are going to whitewater raft down this river and camp out and we're going to try to find food or whatever that in itself is a form of competition to me in, in cooperative competition because you're trying to get through something together it's pretty pretty cool absolutely it's like lost live together die alone <laughs> <laughs> right uh yep 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 exactly. i agree um cool man well Let's let's look at kind of how you prep now for a an event. Yeah, okay? certainly. And yours is obviously we're talking about Olympic weightlifting here, but um, take us through a mindset in in the couple of weeks leading up to a competition, and things that you do. If you have any tips or tricks for people that you feel like really prepare you mentally, because especially as we get older, older athletes, I think one of the biggest things is is that fear of injury and uh, potential fear of failure or fear of decline. There's a lot of fear, I think, that can come into the uh, competing as you age and kind of seeing all that stuff. So if you have any yeah, certainly. Yoda so the, tips. The physical preparation is you know pretty standard, right? Like um, there is a period of buildup and escalating intensity or volume and then decreasing as it goes into the, into the meet. So that, you know, similar to what you would see for someone – competing a marathon or a mud run or a triathlon or any sort of, you know, maybe a CrossFit competition or an Olympic weightlifting competition. There's that build up in volume or intensity um, and then a decline in intensity as you go into the meet. And so for me, there's, you know, there's like kind of a, there's a bunch of things that have to happen for me to be successful in the meet. And the first thing is weightlifting is a weight class based sport. So I have to make certain that I I qualify in the weight class that I have 
signed up to compete in. So, you know, I walk around uh, at about 195 or 198 pounds, and my weight class that I compete in is 187 pounds, as opposed to competing against guys who are 10 or 15 pounds heavier than me at the at the 207 pound class. I choose to compete down. So, you know, my first thing that I have to do that actually is kind of mentally taxing is I have to really key in on on what I'm doing uh, nutritionally uh, and in terms of a water intake so that I can I can get in that class. So that that's mentally draining and slightly physically draining in the last couple of days for me. So that that's kind of a big mental hurdle. And the first time I did that, I I didn't have to cut when I was like 18 years old. And so the first time I did that, uh, you know, when I'm 30, I didn't perform really outstanding. You know, I didn't know what to do. So that that's become a big focus of mine is when I'm when I'm trying to cut weight, I'd have to do it the right way. So for me, it honestly starts, you know, three weeks out, paying attention to what kind of carbs, the salt in my diet, all that kind of stuff. And then um, coming in the last week, there's, you know, kind of some water manipulation, but um, I, I don't like dehydrating myself. So it's like a drink a bunch of water and then, you know, let it flush out of your system kind of thing. And usually that gets me there. But because of that process, that's the first thing I start with. My physical preparation should have been going fine at that point, but mentally I have to get in, in a state where I can I can make that happen, where I can cut the weight off. And then the most successful thing that I've ever done is if you go into a competition, a lot of times the reason you go into a competition is to show off to yourself or show off, you know, kind of show off to someone else. And I used to even say that about competition, like when I was you know, when I was in high school, like, this is my opportunity to show how hard I've worked and to, you know, do this and come up with a PR or, you know, throw the shot put further than I ever have, or the hammer further than I ever have, or lift more weight. And so I always took it as this opportunity to do that. And so it was, it was mostly focused on this end result. And, and I can see that also in a marathon or a half marathon, my wife does those and she, her end result is like, you know, a PR a lot of times. And I just, that became, you know, too much. That's that like fear of failure, because if you start focusing on that, it's a real mental letdown. So the strategy I came up with myself was just to focus on what's immediately ahead of me and what I can immediately accomplish that will help me get to that goal. Not that end goal, not so in Olympic lifting, you know, if my goal is to clean a hundred and 50 kilos. It's not what happens when I clean 150 kilos. My first thing that I'm going to focus on is cutting the weight. So I I need to focus on the weigh in. And then it's very important for me to focus on the next step, which is refueling my body before the meet. So I get two hours after a weigh in. So what am I going to put in my body at that time? So, you know, am I choosing really good stuff? If I'm, am I the guy who's going to a breakfast, you know, a lunch buffet and, and eating everything I can, or am I like choosing really high quality food and, uh, you know, fluids to get in my body. And then it's focus on like foam rolling, something as small as that. And then my first warm up attempt and then my second warm up attempt and so on and so on. And then focus on my first attempt on the platform in the competition, my second attempt on the platform. And then, and then before I know it, I'm at that third attempt and I haven't spent three hours just thinking about it. I've spent the last five minutes really focusing in on it and I've been successful 10 times in a row. I've been successful at making weight, been successful, you know, refueling myself, been successful in my first warm up, second warm up, third warm up, fourth warm up, whatever. And now, you know, first attempt and second attempt. And now I'm at my third attempt and I haven't failed all day. So mentally, I'm just like, of course I'm going to make this. There's no fear of failure anymore. So that that has been a really helpful approach to me. We talked about this like briefly at the gym the other day, but there used to be, you know, that that fear of letting other people down and when you compete as an adult it really shouldn't you know you you need to just let that go you know you used to compete for if if you were a high school athlete i always thought that that was like a big part of my identity you know it's like will fleming the football player the track athlete the weightlifter whatever and now it it's it, it was you know that was my identity and now i feel like it's just like part of my ident- identity i can do so many other things. And this is just something I do for fun. So, you know, uh, I got to make sure that I have fun doing it and not, not, you know, worrying about letting myself down, failing or focusing on the end result, just focus on the process.
I think that's awesome advice. And he actually did. I have another train of thought. Can I go on this, Nate? Uh, yeah, I, d- I just had one quick yep. thing. Is you know, as you were kind of describing how you're going through that, it's like one word kept coming to my mind. It's just like, uh, like sportsman. You know, I feel like the um, the process that you just described of um, you know, going step by step and understanding how you're gonna you know have success and that the process matters and the process is what's important and it's not the end result. Like that, that to me is a sportsman and like that. That's awesome to hear it explained like that. It's, you know, that was really nice. I enjoyed that. Well, I appreciate it. And, and uh, a lot of it stemmed that idea of like trying to set myself up with ten successes. It stemmed from conversation with with you, Nate, and you, Matt, where we've talked. You've talked about mindfulness, or uh, in client goal setting, or even in a you know a situation where you're trying to get someone to buy in. It's like. Help them have positive affirmation that this is a good thing, that what they're doing is the right process or that they need to change course to be on the right steps. And, like, thinking about that, it's like I need to be really successful all the way up to this and will lead to ultimate success. Yeah. I mean, in with Precision Nutrition, we talk about behavior goals versus outcome goals, mm-hmm. right? So that's basically what you've done. You've taken uh, – what you want your outcome to be and you've broken it down into the behavior steps that need to happen. And then most of the time that's going to lead to success. And if it doesn't, then you haven't been sweating it that long. Right. And you can go back and look at the smaller behavior steps and say, well, is there something in here that I can fix on a, on a quick aside? Mm -hmm. I I just competed at the American open like uh, last week or whenever this runs like two weeks, two weekends ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was walking down. I had just like weighed in, been successful at weighing in, and I had started eating. I was feeling great. Like I felt like food was, you know, in my system. I had plenty of energy. I'm walking into the venue because it's time for me to warm up, and I just like come across this guy who's down on his hands and knees in the hallway, still wearing his weightlifting shoes and weightlifting singlet and weightlifting belt, and he's just bawling and. And I was like, well, I've been there, you know, like I, I know, I know what that feels like. Yeah. I, I remember, you know, some, some failures in my, in my, you know, athletic career where it's just all I wanted to do is cry or lay down or whatever. And being an adult athlete, I didn't, I didn't have that. Right. Like I, I don't know if it was, I think it was partly that I had this process that I was going through and it, I wasn't thinking about that end result. And I'm certain that this person was like, I'm here for one purpose, and that's to hit this number, this one number, and this lift. And if I don't hit it, everything's a failure, you know. And and that's how that's how that meat had been mentally constructed in his head. Or you can see a, someone racing with that kind of purpose. But I knew that no matter what happened, I could miss every lift. And while I might be slightly disappointed, I would I would not be on my hands and knees crying because it was you know I had a lot of fun like being there i was excited to be a part of that so yeah. i have oh i have like four different ideas now no oh, crap i know so um i don't even know which one to start with okay it's the first one yeah i know i'm my brain's jumping around today uh so something that you're describing right now to me like having fun and burnout and that's something we talk a lot about with young athletes, especially mm-hmm. when they specialize early and they're only focused on one thing all year round. They will say, you know, they'll, they'll have kids come up to parents and say, I just don't like it anymore. Or kids will tell us in the gym, I just don't like playing this anymore. It's no, it's no longer fun for me. It's become a chore. Um, so how do you avoid that in your yeah. own training? Well, if I can think back to uh, being younger and those kind of feelings, like "Hey, I don't, I don't enjoy this sport," and I, I got burned out on Olympic lifting, honestly, it, and that's one of the reasons I was like, you know, I, I want to go back to school. Uh, you know, I like track and field. I got burned out on Olympic lifting. And I was like, I, I don't want to do this. But honestly, it was it was because I had I had this mindset that set me up for failures as opposed to successes. So I went to a competition and I got third in a national competition or fourth in a national competition, but I didn't hit a PR. And I was like, man, that was a letdown. And I was so disappointed. 
And I, I just quit Olympic lifting after that. You know, I was like, I'm done. And so s- constructing a, a sport or a, an activity around giving yourself opportunities for success, and that's, I'm not talking about giving everyone a blue ribbon or a gold medal because they participated, but I'm saying, like, what are your own metrics for success? I mean, uh, completing a week of training, if you're like a person who wants to do a marathon, it, that undertaking, that 16 or 18 weeks or whatever it is that you choose to do to compete, uh, to train for that marathon, each week is a success. There's a lot of people who get to week four and never go to week five or week seven and never go to whatever. People who get, you know, get to the race and, you know, don't start it or don't make a half marathon, don't make a full marathon. There's all these successes along the way. So burnout is, I think, setting yourself up for a lot of successes where you can be excited about the habit that you put in place to, to go, to get on that course. And actually you talking about how you were setting yourself up where you had to have this one goal in mind, either it's the W or this number that you want to hit. Um, I just realized that that's the exact same thing people are doing to themselves every day when they step on the scale. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. Right? They step on the scale every day and they say, okay, I need to hit this number. And as soon as they don't, it's a failure. And that leads to all these other negative behavior changes because that outcome was the focus, solely Mm -hmm. the focus instead of the process. I I have a family member in one of the oddest uh, stories ever. uh, And Matt knows her. She lost. 58 pounds, right? She, she was overweight. She started coming to the gym and she lost, she, she was losing 10 pounds a month, almost every month. And then, you know, at month six, she lost 58 pounds and she didn't lose 60. And she had told someone she was going to lose 60 pounds at, by this date. And she just quit working out. I wondered what happened to her. Yeah. Because she was so disappointed and she thought she had let people down because she had said, I'm going to lose 60 pounds by this date. And instead of losing 60, she lost 58, which is how many percent? That's great. Small I mean, percent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. a small percent offer goal, 58 pounds. So many people would just love to lose. And, you know, that was a, that was a mindset thing where she, yeah. she didn't, she wouldn't, she couldn't get over the hump. You know, she thought she had failed. But how many successes were on the way to 58 pounds lost? You know? Yeah. And can and and just as a a national plea, can we just get rid of the scale as a measurement of success? Maybe, maybe, please, <laughs> please. Except for in weightlifting. Except for in weightlifting, <laughs> <laughs> that's completely allowed. Uh, well, just if your if your goal is is fat loss or being healthy or, uh, you know, think about the behaviors that are going to get you there and focus on those. Get away from the scale. It, most people use it, as Nathan has talked before, as uh, it's just a negative it's, – it's someone who's negative all the time or who's negative every morning, and you wake up, and it says, yep, guess what? You're still not good enough. Yeah. I punch that person in the face. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> bad is, friend. Bad friend. You gotta cut, yeah, yeah, you got to cut that out. So, and, yeah, and you know, one thing that I found with a lot of, um, with a lot of body composition clients is that you know, they're wanting to lose weight to feel happier. I mean, let's, let's just be honest. They're trying to feel happier about themselves, about, you know, about their potential health later in life. And I I've said this many times and I will say it many more times. If you're not happy trying to be happy, something has gone wrong. Like if you're miserable trying to be happy, you're, you're missing the mark. You know, it, it should be a pleasant process the whole time. You know, kind of like how you're saying with setting up the successes, you know, it's not the end result that matters as much. It's you're enjoying the process. You're enjoying uh, the idea of going through your warm ups step by step and seeing each victory stack on itself. And that is, in my opinion, just a beautiful thing, just because you're you're taking this the concept of looking for the victories, be happy with yourself, enjoy the process, and you're applying it to a competition which is just incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's fun. And, you know, we're the weight loss goal. We've, we've talked a lot about in the gym about trying to establish performance goals for, for people because those are things that maybe they give a little more gratitude and say, hey, good job, more so than, you know, a scale that says, mm-mm, didn't happen, you know. <laughs> and, and so I, I think that's a neat thing, and that's one thing that that's why I really like 
being a person who has a performance goal. And I don't think everybody should Olympic lift unless you wanted to. Um, but it is, you know, having that makes it easy for me to say, you know, I, I'm going to work out today because believe it or not, there are days where I don't really want to work out. And there are some days where I heed that and some days where I say, you know, I'm just I'm going to get something in. I'm going to get what I need done. And and, you know, because it's part of the process. Turkish get ups and farmers walks. Turkish get ups and farmers walks. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, I think that I mean, that's what I like about competition is because um, it gives me some goals and it gives me some motivation to train and, and all that kind of thing. Yeah, I think it's good. Um, so, like you just said, if someone did want to get involved in Olympic weightlifting, how would they do that? And if you had to sell someone on Olympic weightlifting, like why this, if you're looking for something to be competitive in, why would you choose Olympic weightlifting? Oh, wow. Okay. So, I'll start with uh, why. Um, Olympic weightlifting uh, is just a, is a really neat sport. And I would say that if you go to a competition, you will see why it's so neat um, because it's, it's very democratic in terms of I've never seen someone uh, work hard, like puts a certain amount of effort in and not get a good result out, honestly. Um, I think that uh, if, you put, if you put effort into it, you will get a result out of it. You're not, you're not uh, like that was kind of one of my things as, as a team sport athlete. I hated if I was working really hard. And I had teammates that weren't. That just bothered me. And so if I put this effort in, I'll get, a, I'll get a result out, which is so rewarding, where you say, I put in effort, I got a result, perfect. You get to wear a singlet. You don't have to. You don't have to. But the, I'm you glad that's a selling point. You get to wear a singlet. No, um, it's, it's a really neat, it's a neat, it's a neat sport in that it is growing. There's a huge, one of the biggest um, pieces of, of Olympic weightlifting in the United States is ma the masters weightlifting scene. Um, and so that's, that's kind of a cool thing. So if you're an adult athlete and that's 35, I mean, I'm, I'm 31 going on 32 and I'm just waiting till the day that I can be a master athlete. <laughs> I've never wanted to be 35 so much in my life, but, um, it sounds like it's more exciting than getting your driver's license. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> getting your master's license. You, you know, you used to think about those like uh, a 16 birthday is cool. 18 birthday is cool. 21st birthday is cool. And, and then nothing until 35. Oh, you know? okay. yeah. yeah, I love it. So I, I have nothing until 65. I need to get on something. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that that master scene is really big. It's really supportive. Um, if you are uh, in the U.S., it's one. Of, it's a a really quickly growing sport, and a lot of that is due to the popularity of CrossFit because uh, people are in, in there, you know, competing and you know taking part in those movements. Um, it is a sport also where there are these really concrete goals where it's more kilos, but you can also uh, have these like technical goals where you can just get better, like technically. You don't have to put more effort. You don't have to lift something harder. You know, it's not always harder. It can be easier if you do it right. So I think that's a really neat thing because I've been Olympic lifting um, to some degree for 16 years. And I'm like changing stuff every day. I'm trying to get better and correcting what I'm doing and, and just improving. So I think that's a really, really neat thing. If you're interested in how to Olympic lift, there's you know plenty of different ways to get, get involved. I would suggest you find a club. So usaweightlifting.org is the website where you can do a there's club locators and those are clubs in the United States that would, you know, have a qualified coach, go talk to that coach, you know, see if they're, you know, interested in, in coaching Olympic weightlifting clubs are a neat thing because there's a lot of people working for the same goal. Typically, if all of you are in the club together, uh, you're probably working towards a competition in a month or two months and everybody's, you know, kind of all ready for that goal. So I think that's where the, the kind of team aspect comes in and, you know, if you are in the Midwest, Indiana has a ton of clubs as for the size state it is. Um, if you're in, uh, you know, any other state, I think the only state that doesn't have any clubs is South Dakota. There's a business opportunity for someone. Uh-oh, cha-ching. <laughs> moving to South Dakota. <laughs> Starting an Olympic weightlifting club. Peace. Um, so there's, you know, there's clubs everywhere. So uh, I would look for one there. And then, you know, interview your coach. You know, if all they're about is like, getting you to compete every week. That's not the point. The point is they want to put together a training program for you so you can have the opportunity to compete in the future. You know, I, I work with a couple of people who don't have any intention of competing, but they, 
you know, they have that in their back pocket where maybe they could. So, yeah, I love it. Um, I only have one last question. Yes. Do you have any other questions? Uh, I have one. Okay. I have one. Okay. You go first. All right. So if, um, I I guess this would be multi-sport, but if someone came up to you and said, Hey, you know, I'm, I haven't competed in this sport or, you know, a sport in 15 years and I want to get going. Uh, what would be the the first step for them? What what would be your your biggest piece of advice? Well, just like um, I don't think running is a like the best way to get in shape. I don't think like an Olympic Olympic lifting is the best way to get in shape. Or if you want to be you know you want to play basketball again, I don't think basketball is the best way to get in shape. I would honestly just get in like a really generalized program that that is generalized in terms of the the scope of of your fitness goals. So. You're working on getting stronger, improving some cardiovascular shape. You're, you know, all those types of things, getting more mobile, uh, you know, working on improving an FMS score or, you know, some measure of assessment and, and start there and use that general fitness to then begin practicing, you know, at what you want to do. So, you know, practice your running, practice your basketball, practice your soccer, practice your weightlifting. And that was one thing that allowed me to get back into it is I had this really generalized thing. So I was in pretty good shape. And so going and, you know, going to Olympic weightlift was just like adding another piece to it. So I would say, you know, obviously we talk about assessment first, but starting with, with some sort of assessment, getting in kind of a general program that's, you know, pretty specific to you in terms of your goals, adding, adding that sport back as a piece of the puzzle, uh, as, as you start rounding into shape. Okay. Last question. Then we're gonna let you go. Okay. How important do you feel like baby food has been to your success as an Olympic weightlifter? Oh, yes. It's very important. It is, uh, it is the lifeblood of champions after a weigh-in. <laughs> particularly the pouch baby foods after a weigh-in. I can just squeeze a whole sweet potato into my, into my face. Uh, it's the truth. Oh, yeah. man. That is awesome. How many packs of those do you go through in a re-weigh when uh, you're trying to re, uh, re- I, I usually fuel. go. I usually go like five of them because each one is about like 60 or 70 calories or so. So I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get like 500 plus total calories back in me. So yeah. but it's usually like sweet potato and apricot, sweet potato and pear, sweet potato and apple, sweet potato. And it sounds delicious. Oh. I know. Well, I, there's only one ingredient there that I, you know, it's like, Oh yeah, yeah. that's it. right yeah. there. If you, if you put sweet potato in, I'll probably eat it. I yeah. know it's, uh, I just, I swear, I eat like fifteen sweet potatoes. Oh. Like, that is a gross exaggeration. It probably. Oh no, I really do. <laughs> Across all types of sweet potatoes, yes, I do eat that many a week. Yeah. <laughs> there are many types. Yeah. If you haven't tried them, uh, many different ways to prepare them. Standard is with coconut oil and a little bit of cinnamon. Yum. For me. Mm. Yum. All right, Will. Thank you so much for being here, dude. We uh, we definitely got a lot out of this, yeah. and I hope. All our listeners did too. And tell people where they can find more from you. Um, just personally, you would go to uh, willfleming.com, and that's Will with one L. My real name is Wilson. Um, Wilson! Yeah, exactly. And uh, not named after the volleyball, but uh, close. Too bad. Yeah, too bad. <laughs> um, so willfleming.com. And then if, you know, I have like all the social medias, and they're all Will Fleming. So my Instagram is my favorite, and then Twitter and Facebook all will with one elf. You're everywhere, dude. Yeah. That sounds exhausting. We could talk about that another time. I appreciate it, guys. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Really enjoyed it, Will. This is fun. I can hardly wait to come back. All right. We'll definitely (laughs) have you back. All right. Peace, guys. Have a great week. See you.